Good morning. I am too short to see the slides. <laughs> Never mind, I got it over here. So I have no disclosures except to state that at least according to my husband, I never lose a debate. So the standard um, surgery for ileocecal Crohn's disease is an ileocecal resection. And after the bowel has been resected, there are two common anastomoses that are performed, an end-to-end anastomosis where the bowel is naturally repositioned into its normal orientation and often sutured uh, end-to-end, or a side-to-side anastomosis where the bowel is unnaturally reconnected in a antiperistaltic fashion, often stapled, and then the common anerotomy is closed with another staple line. So to really look at the... Um, to compare these two anastomotic techniques, we really have to look at short-term outcomes and long-term outcomes. And my opponent, Dr. Kaitoff, will try and argue that operative time and anastomotic leak rates and even maybe some long-term outcomes, such as Crohn's disease recurrence, are better with a side-to-side anastomosis. And Dr. Binion will try to argue his theory that an end-to-end anastomosis is actually better, but based on functional outcomes and quality of life of these patients. But I'm going to show you that an end-to-end anastomosis is actually better, but it's not because of Dr. Binion's theory. So let me show you some of this data. Now let me preface this by stating that a lot of the data we have available in the literature is is really retrospective and flawed, and so I'm not going to bore you with that detail. But I am going to show you the few prospective studies that we have available. So this is one. This was a prospective randomized trial that um, tried to evaluate Crohn's disease recurrence. Now, unfortunately, the study terminated early due to a lack of uh, enrollment. However, they were able to uh, evaluate some short-term outcomes, albeit with small data points. And there was really no difference between the two techniques with respect to preoperative factors, but also with respect to complications and hospital stay. Now, really, the only quality and larger um, uh, study that we have available is the CAST trial. And this trial also tried to um, evaluate Crohn's disease recurrence between an end-to-end and a side-to-side anastomosis. And I'll show you that data in a a minute, but let's look at the short-term results. So with respect to operative time, anastomotic time, as well as mean duration of the operation, an end-to-end anastomosis did take longer. So I will give Dr. Kaitoff that. However, mean hospital stay was also shorter, and there was no difference across the board with respect to uh, complications, including anastomotic leaks and reoperations occurring in 7% in both groups. And so since that's the largest data we have on Crohn's disease, let's look at some comparative data in cancer. So in cancer, you also perform a right-sided resection and an ileocolic anastomosis, and there have been several studies that have been much larger that have pointed to the higher incidence of anastomotic leak rates after a stapled side-to-side anastomosis. And this is one that was recently published last month. A large uh, study of 1,400 patients over 14 months was a nationwide cohort study from Denmark, and smoking status and uh, the use of a staple technique were the only factors that were predictive of anastomotic leaks. And so what about some of the long-term data, Crohn's disease recur- recurrence? The proponents would argue, of a side-to-side anastomosis, would argue that um, it results in a wider anastomosis, therefore less fecal stasis, and decreased Crohn's disease recurrence. However, 
all the literature that's available that supports this is flawed. They're all retrospective, poorly designed studies. And so let's not look at that. Let's look at the one study that has really eva evaluated this. Again, this is the, um, the CAS trial that I showed you the short-term um, results of earlier. To evaluate Crohn's disease recurrence, they defined that as I2 endoscopic recurrence at one year, and they had 66 patients in the side-to-side -side group, and end-to-end -end was 73 per, uh, uh, patients. And the patients were not different with respect to any of their preoperative uh, factors or demographics, and they found no difference in endoscopic recurrence um, at one year, 37 versus um, 42%, nor was there a difference in symptomatic recurrence between the two groups. And so Dr. Kaitoff will come up here and try and argue that a side-to-side -side anastomosis is better. But does he practice what he preaches? So I recently saw a very nice patient of his that moved to Los Angeles from New York. And she, she was so pleased with how Dr. Kaitoff took care of her. She was really happy with her resection. She felt that she finally got uh, her quality of life back. And I, I was shocked when I looked at the operative report and I saw what he, he had done. He had diagnosed the patient with Crohn's disease recurrence due to side-to-side -side anastomotic dysfunction. And when I looked at the operative report, he had done an ileocolic resection with a conversion of a side-to-side ileocolic anastomosis to an end-to-end. -end. Have I made my point? So let's look at Dr. Binion's data, or his theory. It's a very provocative study that he published this year where he argued that quality of life and, uh, and um, functional status of patients with an end-to-end -end anastomosis was better than a side-to-side -side anastomosis, and he even has animal data to support this. But let's break down this study. So in, this was a prospective longitudinal study of patients that were selected by their surgeons to have an end-to-end -end or a side-to-side -side anastomosis. This was not a randomized trial. And he shows you a very nice table one that suggests that there was no difference in patient factors. However, if you really break it down, you see that there are some trends here that are potentially missed due to a lack of power. For example, patients with a side-to-side -side anastomosis had a longer duration of disease at the time of surgery compared to an end-to-end -end anastomosis. It was not statistically significant, potentially due to it being underpowered. Now, what about some operative factors? There were more abscesses almost twice as common in the side-to-side -side group, and more patients in the side-to-side -side group had open surgery. And so is it possible that some of the, the data that he's going to show you is just due to a co combination of these factors coming together to confound the picture? And now this is what he's going to show you. He's going to show you that um, patients with a side-to-side -side anastomosis have a 30% incidence of ED visits and hospitalizations, and that 50% of them have abdominal CT scans in the two-year postoperative period, which is significantly different than the patients that had an end-to-end -end anastomosis at their institution. But do any of you guys see that at your institutions? We surely don't. I think this is a phenomenon that's unique to Pittsburgh. <laughs> and he's also going to argue that there's no difference in endoscopic recurrence, and hence that could not be playing a role here. But again, there's a trend, and when you break it down, which he nicely did by record score, you could see that there were more patients that had zero evidence of endoscopic recurrence, i.e. I0 record scores in the end-to-end -end group, and that was statistically significant. 
And so to argue that there's that the difference that he's seeing and the phenomenon is really due to uh, a dysfunctional anastomosis and that um, functional state, uh, 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 results of these patients are due to uh, his theory that he will show you, I think is flawed. And so I would tell you that an end-to-end anastomosis is better, but it's not due to function and quality uh, of life of these patients. It's simple. It's due to the pure fact of endoscopic surfe- surveillance of, of patients with a side-to-side versus an end-to-end anastomosis. If any of you have scoped a side-to-side anastomosis in the postoperative setting, you would see that you essentially have to retroflex your scope in order to get into the neo-TI. An end-to-end anastomosis is a straight shot. And so I would argue that more patients with a side-to-side anastomosis have more difficult neo-TI intubations, potentially um, uh, less uh, surveillance of their neo-terminal ileum, and so less of the ability to really survey these patients in the postoperative setting. And that alone is enough to argue that an end-to-end anastomosis is better. Now, maybe we also have fewer anastomotic leaks. I will give it to Dr. Kaitoff that a side-to-side anastomosis is faster to perform. But with respect to some of this other stuff, like Crohn's disease recurrence and healthcare utilization and quality of life, there's no difference. Was my husband right? Thank you very much. The gloves are off, Sergey. Um, our next uh, speaker is Dr. Sergey Kaitov uh, from New York. Thank you. Thank you very, thank you very much. Start my... All right, so... Also, can you start the time uh, when it's... Yes. So, thank you. Thank you. I will be brief and uh, we'll get started. So I'll, I do it my way. Can we advance the slide? So what do we expect as a surgeons, as a doctors from ideal anastomosis? We want it to be easy to perform. We want it to be fast to perform. We want it to be highly reproducible by different physicians and not only by expert. We want this to be suitable in multiple clinical scenarios. We do want it not to leak. Uh, We don't want any other complications like bleeding strictures. We hope to have lower uh, risk of Crohn's disease recurrence in ideal anastomosis. I have no collusion with uh, stapler manufacturers, though I will disclose that. So in terms of technical aspects, I can show you what I do in my practice. If you could play the video for me, please. So this is patient who has it all. He has an abscess, he has a phlegmon, there is a proximal small bowel dilatation, uh, there is complicated Crohn's disease, and you see this nice ileocecal phlegmon. This is proximal bowel transection with endo-GIA tristapler. There's colonic transection aiming to the tinea libra. Then we align the proximal and distal bowel longitudinally, and we staple them together, small enterotomy in the corner of each loop. I do use two stapler loads to create a common enterotomy. Again, it's the same stapler all along. 
the length of the cartridge is 60 millimeters. But when you will see, it's never 60 when you staple it. It's always shorter than that at the end of the anastomosis creation. So you want to staple through the tinea or nearby. It's the thickest portion of the bowel. So this is the second stapler line. And then we close the common enterotomy transversely. I do not routinely oversuture anything else besides the staplers. So there are three stapler lines at each line. So, so why do I use it? It's a low-profile stapler. It has three rows of staplers. Uh, it can handle different tissue. Basically, you can handle it with a thick tissue, thick cartridge, short cartridge. It's very easy to use. We do create wide common enterotomy, 60 times 2. It does cost some money. We do use numerous loads. It's five loads per anastomosis. There is no widely available open version uh, of this stapling device. And as mentioned before, it is occasionally difficult to survey colonoscopically. So the obvious stuff, why this is better. It's easy to create. This is exactly the time it takes it in the operating room. You just saw it. This is maybe plus minute, minus minute, but this is five to 10 minutes on average to create it. We can teach residents easily, and it is reproducible, to construct this anastomosis under supervision. There are some caveats. It's not recognizing the twist of the proximal bowel while we're anastomosing, and the patient has obstruction after the surgery. Stapling through the poor quality shredded bowel wall and trying to blame stapler when it doesn't work or leaks. Failure to move anastomosis away from the septic focus or abscess cavity or just creating anastomosis in profoundly malnourished patient when no anastomosis should be made whatsoever. So not so obvious stuff, it is available evidence. So the uh, direct technique comparison is very rare in randomized control study. Larger studies have mixed pop uh, population with the cancer patients and not just Crohn's disease patients. Most, the most of the data we have is derived from meta-analysis and not from direct studies. Historically, if you look at the anastomosis, pre-1990s, we had hand-sutured, end-to-side, and end-to-end. -end. Now we are, since 1990s, we are dominated by side-to-side, antiperistaltic, functional end-to-end, -end, and this is the most commonly practiced anastomosis these days. Now we are coming in 2000s, and we are in the questionably era of CONO-S anastomosis, back to end-to-end, -end, and uh, the good quality evidence is still slim. So the earlier study from Italy, from Turin, Italy, they had lower leak rates for the uh, stapled anastomosis. They had 122 consecutive patients. There was surgeon bias, uh, which anastomosis to perform. They had a leak rate of 14% with end-to-end -end anastomosis, and it was statistically significant there was higher complication uh, rate other than leak, significantly higher. There was a mortality after the end-to-end -end anastomosis. And the postoperative stay, it's actually will be surprising to see this type of postoperative stay these days was longer in end-to-end -end anastomosis. 
and it was maintained even when they excluded the patients who did leak. So the patients with end-to-end anastomosis had longer postoperative state. And they thought that maybe the steroids played a role. I said maybe they don't know how to stitch in Italy, but I doubt, I really doubt that. So there, there is a meta-analysis, which is a meta-analysis which came from uh, US, uh, UK, and Japan. They combined eight studies. Uh, they had uh, 661 patients, 720, uh, uh, 712 anastomosis, and there were comparable numbers of end-to-end and other anastomotic configurations. What is important here, that the leak, leak rates were higher in all groups which were not side to side anastomosis. They looked at the data this way, that way. I will not exercise a lot of numbers, but at the end of the day, side to side anastomosis appeared to be having lower leak rate, lower uh, complication rate. Very interesting remark about this study. When they looked at the studies which were performed after year of 2000, there was no difference, which I don't have explanation why. The largest study, which is often quoted, is the Cochrane Database Review. They had 1,125 patients who had ileocolic anastomosis, comparable numbers of hand sutured and stapled, and there were less, uh, there were less leaks, uh, significantly less re- uh, leaks with the stapled anastomosis. Interesting part of this study, that if you look at the patient subgroups, it did uh, correlate with the type of the uh, disease the patient had. The cancer patients had uh, significantly less uh, leaks. If you look at the IBD patients, the leak rates were very comparable, and there was no difference in any reported outcomes. So now we move to CONOS, which is great and intriguing technique, and it is currently being evaluated as an alternative to routine end-to-end anastomosis. It is technically demanding anastomosis, time-consuming technique. It's a variation of the end-to-end wider anastomosis with so-called supporting con. Dr. Figuera and Dr. Kono reported excellent outcomes which uh, had low recurrence rate, which they proposed to be a possibly prophylactic technique to, uh, against recurrence, and they had low, uh, lower leak rate. But this is the study which was just published from, the, uh, from Japan, which also practiced uh, in prospective fashion Kono-S versus end-to-end. They had, they just reported 17.3% leak rate. In our day and age, this is not something which would be acceptable my, by my hospital. So this is very high leak rate. They did have acceptable leak rate 5.1% in Kono-S group, which is a good number. Now, moving forward, as a surgeons, we are all concentrated in short-term outcomes. Uh, there is a brilliant idea here to look beyond that, to look further. And Dr. Bignon, who will be here in a couple minutes, looked at the two years follow-up comparing two techniques. And he showed in his data that there was a high risk of hospitalization, 30% versus 11%, which was statistically significant. They used 50% of uh, CAT, scan, CAT scans were used in side-to-side anastomosis within two years, and as opposed to end-to-end, 13.2%. ER visits were higher, and then they uh, did quality of, life, uh, quality of life comparisons. Now, they didn't find any recurrence or surgery for recurrence difference. They hypothesized that uh, it is dysfunctional anastomotic configuration which is in charge of this malfunction, if you will, of the side-to-side anastomosis, and potential explanation they bring up as an extrapolation of the animal data, 
onto the humans, uh, which you have to take with grain of salt. Now, I will tell you that in my practice, I would, I would attest that I do not see 50% of my patients getting CAT scans in two years after the surgery. I would say the following, that yes, as a surgeon, I don't see them as often as a referring gastroenterologist. I do not perform quality of life surveys. But if the patient gets a CAT scan, overwhelming majority of the times, my referring GI guy will call me because it's significant enough. Another question I have, why do we use CAT scans in patients and not MRs? As a, we're subjecting 50% of patients to radiation. I think it's a, not something I would necessarily do. There are potential flaws in this study that it's really unclear why a surgeon will decide to perform one anastomosis or another, and uh, there is lack of complexity, some complexity of surgery explanation or ASA scores. To summarize, I do it my way. It is fast. It's to be proven if it has any dysfunction because this is very intriguing data and we need more studies uh, to, uh, to prove that. And with that, I will finish. Thank you. I, I have to say that uh, we have a guest, a gastroenterologist guest, and you guys ganged up on him. It's uh, kind of rude. We should have been a little bit more. Uh, what? Yes, so I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. David Binion, a brave gastroenterologist who's uh, coming to the Sea of Surgeons because we've seen that surgeons, you know, we just know things. We don't need data. So hopefully Dr. Binion will give us some... Um, <laughs> data to help guide our actual decisions. Thank you very much, Dr. Hyman, Dr. Fischer, my, my co-debaters uh, on the uh, podium today. And, and thank you very much for the invitation to come and talk with surgical colleagues. So, you know, when I, when I take care of patients with Crohn's disease, I view this as a team effort. And surgeons and gastroenterologists have to work together optimally to get the best outcomes for our patients. And I think... Uh, just a couple, I'll, I'll try to soften the, soften the blows that are going to come. Surgeons are the best individuals in, in the entire spectrum of medicine when it comes to quality analysis of their data. They actually look at their outcomes, they look at how their practices, they look at their mistakes and their problems up to 30 days. And then they're sort of absolved of, of what could go wrong. And what we wanted to do in the study that has already been brought up, and after hearing doctors again, I'm tempted to withdraw the paper um, because of our explanation not being appropriate. But I think we all agree the majority of our patients get surgery when it comes to Crohn's disease. Ileocecal resection is clearly the most common operation. As we've heard, there are a variety of strategies for reconstruction. But as gastroenterologists, when we are documenting our postoperative patients, we do put a big emphasis on postoperative endoscopic surveillance. This is the only diagram I can choose in the software that we use for documentation. This is the probation software we use to record our colonoscopies. And I would venture to say this is not an antiperistaltic side-to-side anastomosis. And gastroenterologists do not understand how you guys are doing your surgeries. They have no idea what they are looking at when they see those two lumens when they come into the anastomotic area. So I would ask uh, my colleagues in GI, is this the operation that your patient's actually receiving? I suspect that this is probably better described as an end-to-end anastomosis with a spatulated neoterminal ileum in order to perhaps create the anastomotic configuration. I don't need to tell this audience what a side-to-side is. The GI audience does not understand this. 
I would, I would, before I moved to the University of Pittsburgh, I was in Wisconsin at the Medical College of Wisconsin, where there was a tradition of surgical research and motility. Um, Robert Condon, Sushil Sarna, Mary Otterson, who's in the audience, were NIH-funded investigators on motility. And for whatever reason, they would put things back together as an end-to-end. When I moved to Pittsburgh, 95% of our cases were stapled side-to-sides. And I was intrigued by this. I was under the impression that laparoscopic procedures and, and doing things with some of our modern technology would be better. Um, but then we started to look at our quality of life scores, and I'm going to come to that in a moment. So we've already heard from Dr. Zagian that endoscopic surveillance is a little bit more challenging. I would tell you that my colleagues who are not as familiar with anastomotic reconstruction will actually look at this blind end here and say, oh, my God, the patient has an obstruction. And it's like, no, 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 no. You need to make an umbrella hook with your scope. And now you can start to look at the opening. As you can clearly see in this diagram, we need to be over here to reassess. And if you did your colonoscopies under fluoro, this is what the image would look like. You'd have to umbrella hook into the neo-TI and then pull your scope in and then dip your tip down to get anywhere up into the, into the the more proximal bowel, and we can compare this, as we saw, with an end-to-end, where you all of a sudden see villi, and you've just sailed right across the anastomosis without even realizing it. So where did staplers coming from? In the surgical folklore, Soviet trauma surgeons created these devices in the 1950s, and the advantage is speed. This is a trauma surgery technique. I don't think I need to tell anyone in this room that the, pri- the priority when it comes to trauma surgery is speed. You have an hour to get things done. I can tell you that our surgeons in the trauma battlefield areas have had huge successes. 25% of people making it back to the mass units in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam died. That's down to 10% now because surgeons keep track of what they do and they keep getting better. So if you have a big tube and a little tube and you need to put it back together as fast as possible, Dr. um, uh, Kaitov showed us Definitively, that is the number one fast way to do things, and you can get the job done and move on. And Dr. Mark Ravitch, who was at Hopkins at the time, brought one of these devices back to the U.S., smuggled it out of the Soviet Union in 1957. Angel investors in the suburbs of Baltimore created something called U.S. Surgical, a multibillion-dollar-a-year company. And when he came to become chairman of surgery at the University of Pittsburgh, we became an epicenter for stapling devices. So... When I came to Pittsburgh in 19, uh, I'm sorry, uh, we looked at a study back in 1998. Um, about 30% of our operations were stapled side to side. We had no laparoscopy back then. End to side with hand sewn was most common. 2008, 95% of our cases are stapled side to side. They're all essentially a laparoscopic attempt, and then the stapled anastomosis. But the question is, does this change in surgical reconstruction impact long-term function, abdominal pain, quality of life in our patients? And no one had really looked at that issue, long-term issues. We've heard all about the CAST trial showing essentially, and many people look at this data and they say there's no difference. Let, leave it up to the surgeon's preference. But it was a one-year assessment, and really the goal was to look at endoscopic recurrence in this study. So no difference in complication rates in this prospective multicenter trial. Um, there's a little bit longer uh, hospital stay for the side-to-side patients. The operative time clearly is going to be longer with an end-to-end. In Pittsburgh, we became concerned with the long-term appearance of a side-to-side. And the reason being is that the staplers are going to transect the circular muscle layers, 
So keep in mind what the bowel does for a living. It has peristalsis. It has to squeeze and has to propulse the chyme, the partially digested food through. Antiperistaltic orientation is also a little bit concerning because you're going to have to have this magical transformation of motility here, and you've created this tissue syncytium. You get a bowel dilation, and you can get fecalization at the anastomosis in the absence of stricture. And this is a CT scan of one of our patients where we actually see stool in the uh, right lower quadrant and the nice staple line right there. So we have fecalization. And if we think about bacterial overgrowth leading to issues, and also where does pain come from in the GI tract? Distension. So we have essentially a pooling, a reservoir-like effect. We have this wide-open connection that can get bacterial overgrowth. So is intestinal function disrupted in the side-to-side over time? And to address this, uh, Anthony Bauer, Tony Bauer, a PhD colleague, created a rat model of survival surgery to look at anastomoses. And I'll go through that data quickly. Um, We have an end-to-end anastomosis 21 days after the procedure. The rat was sacrificed. You can clearly see the anastomosis right here. This is the oral side. It's going to travel through. And this is the appearance of a side-to-side anastomosis 21 days afterwards. Very, very different configuration. I think one of the things we have to remind ourselves is that we don't operate on people typically with a full GI tract. So when people are going in for redo operations, people have perhaps been kept NPO or maybe even had a bowel prep. Some of our animals were given dextran sodium sulfate to mimic inflammation. And what we found here is when we opened this, we had, I think, something a little bit more than small bowel uh, bacterial overgrowth. We had solid stool sitting at this anastomotic configuration. You know, keep in mind, this is the oral side. There's pumping into this chamber. It basically fills, and then you're going to have some material exiting on the um, efferent side, and this fecalization is highly reminiscent of what we see in our patients when they come into the emergency room with uh, solid stool being trapped in this area. When we looked at the histology of the anastomosis 21 days after surgery, we looked just upstream of the anastomosis, and we had a fairly normal configuration of the anatomy here on this, on this um, H&E stain. When we looked at our side-to-sides, right above the anastomosis, we found this muscle hypertrophy that was actually pretty profound. And this is at the inlet of the side-to-side. And then we looked at uh, physiologic function. Here's solid transit. We put metal ball bearings into the rats and looked at their transit over the next three hours prior to sacrifice. The green um, behind here is the end-to-end anastomosis where... Um, We have a minority of the metal ball bearings hanging up at the anastomosis, most transit downstream. 50% of the metal ball bearings in an end-to-end hang up at this area of stasis here. And with dextran sodium sulfate, we actually had gastroparesis, where the metal ball bearings didn't even exit the stomach in these animals. And then we looked at uh, circular spontaneous muscle contractions, We have normal bowel up top here. We have the end-to-end anastomosis and then complete disruption of the physiology and the side-to-sides. So we were interested in seeing if this would hold true in people. So we did the prospective study that's already been highlighted, two-year study. We took all of our patients who were consented to be followed prospectively. We focused on the first and second operation patients. We're a referral hospital. We don't want to look at our fifth and sixth operation patients for the purpose of this comparison. And our primary outcomes were going to be um, Crohn's disease-related healthcare utilization, which includes the emergency departments, hospitalizations, repeat surgeries, abdominal pelvic CT scans, because in the time period we did this, that was our major modality for imaging of the belly. And we also have uh, quality of life measures at every encounter in our clinic patients 
Every, every epic chart that we do in GI has these scores built into it. And we're going to look at the two-year uh, results. And here we have balanced groups overall. Here we have uh, balanced smoking histories, use of drugs in the pre- and post-operative time period. And operative variables were similar with the exception of the time of the surgery. It does take a lot longer. And this was the learning curve because I can tell you when I asked my surgical colleagues to do an end-to-end anastomosis similar to what we had been using in Wisconsin, they were terrified based on some of the papers that were highlighted by Dr. Kaitov. They thought they were going to be killing their patients. They thought they would have horrific leaks. And that's not what we've had. That's not what we've had at all. I'm in charge of nutrition at the University of Pittsburgh. I manage 91 home TPN patients, and none of them had end-to-end anastomoses. They are all side-to-side anastomoses that are coming from our colleagues in many different areas when they have surgical issues. So there was definitely a longer operative time in our end-to-end patients. And here's the primary data. Emergency department visits occurred in 15% of our N10 patients versus 33% of our side-to-sides. Hospitalizations in 12% of our N10s versus 30% of our side-to-sides. I don't think this data is in any way problematic. CT scans occurred in 13.2% of our N10s and half of our side-to-side patients. The reason we do a CT scan in a Crohn's disease patient is abdominal pain. We had MRIs being switched over because we don't want our radiator patients, and that technology was emerging at that time. And we also have quality of life scores. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with, the score goes from 10 to 70. A mean score of 50 is what we expect. When the mean score is below 50, that person's not going to be doing well. In prior publications, we showed that when the mean SIBDQ score is less than 50, the odds ratio for permanent work disability was 12. That patient will never feel well. Despite anything we do, they will never feel well. And the patients with an end-to-end have a mean SOBDQ score above 50, and those with a side-to-side are below 50. When we looked at some of our disease-specific um, parameters for inflammation recurrence, they didn't separate at two years, but they separate perfectly at three and four years. We have additional data that's in abstract form, not yet published. And we couldn't overstate our data, so to Dr. Zagian's comments, This paper was a battle because it went against everything you all believed in up until that time period. But I don't think anyone's looked at two-year data, in all honesty. Um, Complication rates were equivalent. No leaks, no leaks in any of our patients. On the multivariate logistic regression analysis, the side-to-side was associated with three times the risk of being hospitalized in the next two years. And interestingly, uh, my colleague, Dr. Ruggiero, who did the PREVENT trial looking at the effectiveness of Remicade to prevent Crohn's disease. It was fantastic for preventing endoscopic recurrence, but what the trial failed to do was it failed to prevent symptoms. And that was considered a negative trial because the FDA demanded a clinical outpoint. And when you have a um, side-to-side elastomosis, you lose five points in your quality of life for the rest of your life. And I think that's profound. If our job is to make our patients feel better, the side-to-side is not going to make them feel better. And there's a subgroup of patients who do poorly with this operation. Oh, and by the way, the uh, patients with the side-to-side cost twice as much money to take care of for the rest of their life compared to the end-to-end patients. 
And when we think about endoscopic recurrence and when you're going to need to be reoperating, you're going to have to sacrifice all of this bowel and all of this bowel to get to this anastomotic inlet stricture, which is actually maybe even not related to IBD inflammation. It might be related to physiologic hypertrophy of the muscle layers because of the high pressure zone that's forming in these anastomoses. So I would argue that surgical anastomosis type actually does impact physiologic function of postoperative intestine, the side-to-side transect circular muscle layers, and has an antiparistotic orientation, creating a pouch. This is how you guys build J-pouches. And it's done on purpose so they don't have motility going across the J-pouch. And it creates a reservoir while the end-to-end reconstructs the intestine as an intact tube. The dilation at the side-to-side likely contributes to fecal stasis and abdominal pain. The N10 takes longer to construct in the operating room, but it's associated with an improved clinical status in Crohn's patients in the two years following surgery. And Crohn's patients with N10 have better quality of life, less healthcare utilization compared with the side-to-side while receiving similar post-op Crohn's treatment. And I would say that skilled expert surgeons have equivalent results in terms of short-term complications between stapled and hand-sewn anastomotic reconstruction. And the optimal care of our Crohn's patients will require medications to control inflammation and surgical approaches to restore bowel function, including motility, as well as patency of the lumen. Thank you so much. So thank you. So in the interest of staying on time, we'll spend uh, just a two quick minutes uh, summarizing, um, if, if I might. Um, so let's go down, just to be clear for the audience, because we have, we'll have five of us, and then we'll ask the audience. So, Karen, the best anastomosis is? End to end. Side to side. Dr. Side, side to side. No, I'm Dr. sorry. End to end. <laughs> Dr. Vaquera? End to side. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so my rationale was because the good Lord gave us an end to side anastomosis, probably knew what he was doing. Uh, in any case, what about in the audience? How many people in the audience do side to side? Or functional intent. How many end to end? How many end to side? How many cone OS? So I think that that pretty much um, we'll have time for just one question. But I think, um, and we'll go to the panel. But um, and I think that that summarizes it. The short answer is we have no idea. Yes. Just wanted to make a comment about isoperistaltic side to side It was not even cited here in this discussion isoperistaltic, uh, intracorporeal or extracorporeal, side-to-side anastomosis. Maybe it's an intermediate status between what Dr. Binion says regarding the antiperistaltic versus the end-to-end. I want to comment on that. You transect the circular muscle layers, you have stasis at that same area. You don't have intact peristalsis going across that. We didn't study in the animal model in detail. We didn't present those data in this paper, but I would just favor, if you're going to build a... I've had people getting hand-sewn side-to-sides and just put it together as an end-to-end. Just, just, yeah, just to close, I think there are three aspects to, to uh, consider. One is the leak rate, one is the uh, recurrence, since we're talking about Crohn's disease, and one is the quality of life. I don't think there is one, of, uh, one configuration that is superior in all the three aspects, and as you notice here, I didn't put speed. Speed, uh, I, I don't think should play any role in any of this, uh, to be honest. But uh, um, I think there is a role for the different configuration and, and an advantage specific to the three aspects that we should consider when looking at an anastomosis. 
Well, obviously, other than the Kono S, there's an advantage over all of them. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. We, I think we can all agree it's clear as mud. And uh, we want to thank our panelists for their wonderful uh, presentations. And we'll move on thank to the second much. session. And thank you.